Johnny, thanks for coming in. And uh, if you can go ahead and uh, give us some kind of background on you and how you got here. All right. My name is Johnny Morris. I'm regional director for J.R. Hobbs. Mm -hmm. um, I handle Georgia, Alabama, and the panhandle of Florida. Um, I'm more on the... Uh, I am on the op side, so mm -hmm. um, myself, I'm financially motivated um, in my position um, with all my PMs and people under me kind of mm -hmm. handling that. Been in, been in HVAC for about 25 years. Um, in between, I have built houses, so I've kind of been on the GC side as well on a, on a smaller scale. Um, I've done quite a bit of consulting okay. for some, uh, for 65 hospitals in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And um, so back in HVAC, okay. what I know, third generation. When you were doing that consulting work, were you focusing just on the HVAC side or were you focusing on the general contractor side? No, well, it, more on the general contractor side as it was a state-funded project mm -hmm. um, for Virginia and they were putting emergency water systems in hospitals mm -hmm. for uh, the backup for their um, boilers, chillers things like that in case they lost water which they do a lot mm -hmm. and um you know they could still keep their operating rooms cool and okay. keep the hospital moving. so you got experience with the large commercial side with cooling towers chillers oh yeah my background starts like at, at the larger industrial mm -hmm. and then at throughout the years i've kind of worked um i don't want to say work down but mm -hmm. um have kind of i've done residential multifamily, small commercial large industrial um, less complicated stuff. Yeah, le yeah. Le less complicated stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, does JR Hobbs mainly focus on um, multifamily and smaller equipment like air handlers, PTACs, stuff like that, or do y'all do the commercial side? We do both. We okay. do both. We we do our our bread and butter is multifamily. Mm -hmm. um, we have a small commercial division that focus on. We do a lot of Chick-fil-A's. We do um, a lot of retail spaces, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, but that's a completely different division. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I think we had a, before you got here, we did a project over at um, uh, Cobb Galleria. It was kind of a little bit of a blend because the common spaces had uh, large air handlers that were on top of the roof and fed down through shafts down into the corridors. And so we didn't have... Uh, corridor air handlers right per se we just had the air handlers up on the roof feeding in and had a 100% uh, positive pressure system in the corridors and yep. common spaces yep. and then in the um, apartments it was all the normal air all handlers, the normal systems. Air handlers. Yep. Mm -hmm. we, we do have a uh, high-rise division as well do you which is considered major project mm -hmm. um, doing a lot of kind of VAV and VAV yep exactly okay that's cool a lot of DOAS mm -hmm. we're starting to do uh, some of those um, high rises we we're just finishing up a 21 story uh downtown i'm not exactly sure what kind of system they had in place but um, we're also doing a i want to say it's 31 or 32 story down off of Peachtree, yep. and uh, starting to get into that commercial stuff here in atlanta and uh but a lot of our stuff is the multifamily, and that's typically where we have worked with y'all in the yep. past and uh, we just finished up the uh, webgen project and uh, so I wanted to have you come in here and talk about the things that you see on a normal basis that either are good or bad um, throughout a project that 
we can focus on in the future to try and uh, mitigate those mistakes or uh, difficulties from happening in the future. Um, so can you walk through a little bit of the process from the time that y'all get um, the, the uh, pre-con stage to the on-site to the install and closing out a job yeah absolutely so so once the contract signed um there's a huge review process for for the contract um mm -hmm. throughout the company um in different management positions once the contract signed the pre-con department takes that over mm -hmm. and that's when they start creating our submittals um as built not as built so i'm sorry shop drawings mm -hmm. different things like that and uh you know they go through all that process and typically they'll keep they'll keep the job in their control 45 to 60 days hopefully if mm -hmm. they have time um getting that you know getting with the engineer getting you know with your department and um getting everything ready for operations okay um once precon's done with it then they send it over to operations and um that's when we start you know, coordinating with your field team and our field team and um, getting things going. Okay. When do y'all typically see the, the VDC and BIM um, effort happen? Is that kind of in between the pre-con and the op side, or is it more on the pre-con side? It's more on the pre-con side. Yeah. It's more on the pre-con side. Um, timing's everything. Mm -hmm. Timing's everything. So um, we, we have a gentleman in-house that focuses on the BIM. Okay. And uh, so he'll focus on that. He'll work with the project manager that's assigned to the job mm -hmm. with different things. But, yeah, typically it's mostly on the pre-con side. How many of your projects actually require the VDC-BIM effort um, nowadays? Um, I'd probably say, you know, with the high-rises, probably 40%. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of percentage would you say – GCs actually request for that effort to be done on a multifamily because I know we require it mm -hmm. largely for the amenity spaces uh, where there's a lot of structural steel and so the coordination is needed for that. But once we get the uh, truss shops, we like to do um, an effort through the corridor spaces and make sure that we can uh, navigate uh, through those uh, truss systems. Right. As, uh, it's mainly if they're going to do it, it's going to be in like an amenity area um a corridor like i said it's it's, it's more on the high rise side mm -hmm. than it is the the smaller multi-family podium garden style garden style never see it mm -hmm. never see anything like that um i have seen it and it mm -hmm. didn't work why didn't it um, work well it's you know wood structure and, and tight spaces are just you know it's it's easy to lay things in mm -hmm. with them and show things where they don't cross but then you know you've got to have the right people installing that work to make sure it's going in the way it needs to go in mm -hmm. in order to coordinate with the BIM drawings and, and make things work. Okay, so do you use different crews um, when you're talking about a job that is heavy VDC and BIM-based versus something that's uh, either only a little bit and then some that are absolutely none. I'm assuming that you uh, base your subcrews off of people who are capable of looking at the uh, requirements. Well. We do, we do, it's, it's, and it goes along with everything. I mean, how extensive the job is, we've got certain crews that are just, 
they all, you know, they're more experienced in, in the commercial side or the, you know, the using a true blueprint mm-hmm. per se. Um, everybody has blueprints, but not they're not mm-hmm. truly used for the most part. Um, so we do we do have crews. Same with our superintendents, our project managers. You know, some people are more familiar with the process than others. So it's um, we look at that really close to say this person's going to fit well with this project and doing this, and that's kind of how we do it. Okay. All right. Once you uh, once you get through that VDC and that BIM effort, um, what are you seeing nowadays as far as being able to get ready for a job here in the last couple of years because of COVID and supply chain issues, there's been a lot of problems being able to get materials, but um, are you seeing that get any better? Is it the same? What, what are you seeing right now? Definitely getting better. Okay. Definitely getting better. Unfortunately, during, during the pandemic, we were also starting to go through the sear change, mm-hmm. which didn't help things on, on the equipment side. Um, so that kind of, kind of doubled the heartache. Mm-hmm. Or you know, getting getting equipment, um, it really put stress on the builders financially um, because they didn't know which way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got to buy all this equipment now, and we got to put all this money out to get it done. Um, so, uh, but things are definitely, as a whole, getting better. Okay, definitely getting better with materials. What were some of the ways that you got through that um, difficulty of getting materials, and when we did get materials? Um, it wasn't always enough. How did you overcome that challenge? I don't know if it was ever really overcome <laughs> as much, but um, a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work, a lot of smart people focused on it in our office, um, working really closely with our general contractors and you know, more storage and anything saying, hey, we've got an opportunity to buy all these materials now. Mm-hmm. Let's buy them and then use what we have, especially Flex. We'll use Flex as an example. Mm-hmm. You know, you might order 600 boxes or bags of Flex and they ship you 30. Mm-hmm. You know, and they don't tell you until the truck gets there. Oh, you know, yeah, when you I remember that. And, slip and you're like, what? You know, so it, it was a lot of, a lot of hard work um, from our purchasing department. And them just staying on it and working with our vendors and just we finally got through it. I don't know if a lot of people did, you know. I remember it being a very difficult part of the uh, the inspection process because we couldn't do inspections to get cover up because we didn't have flex. And that was always um, a challenge on uh, WebGen to get that final cover up inspection because we were just short. 20 bags in a certain area and we had to wait for it to come in the next week to be able to start the process and uh, that was that was difficult was it like a a supplier's allotment uh, it wasn't to different um was it based off of like how much you spend with that um supplier the the way they did it was based on the prior year Mm -hmm. is the way they kind of handled it the prior year you're you're purchasing um, numbers mm-hmm. they did their calculation and that's how they came up with their allotments um because we're doing the same amount of work that we were doing last year right right, right. yeah yeah you know but that allotment was net was cut mm-hmm. a lot i mean so it, let's say you bought fifty thousand bags of flex mm-hmm. you didn't get fifty thousand it was mm-hmm. their calculation to say okay out of that fifty thousand we can give you a thousand mm-hmm. that's your allotment for when they come in so 
that number's not accurate, but they had their own little formula mm -hmm. um, with financials and things like that. Um, the vendors did mm -hmm. to kind of do it. But let's back up one question okay. on how we got through it. Um, it really costs, and, and not only my company, but every company, it it was a financial burden for sure. I mean, because things you were paying, you were paying four times the amount to just get something to get you through an inspection just so, you know, just to have it. And because you're trying to get it expedited. Yeah. Well, not only expedited it, you know, it was supply and demand. So mm -hmm. everyone just jacked the prices up. It wasn't just inflation. It was just sheer lack of material caused the yeah. and you, price I mean, of it to go you up. You could go online, like um, let's just use Marketplace for an example. Mm hmm and find someone in Texas that had a box truck full of flex that they wanted to sell, but instead of paying $25 for a flex, they were charging you 90. Did y'all have to go that route sometimes? Sometimes, yes. Yeah. Yep, to get it. I mean, you had no choice. I mm -hmm. mean, we, you know, we're trying to keep our customers happy. Mm -hmm. um, building doesn't stop. You know, the, you know, it's, it's gotta keep moving. So yeah, and there were some, case, there were some cases we had to do that. Okay, so that's a that's a really good way of thinking outside the box to just go on Facebook Marketplace and look to see what um, other people have out there that are um, leftovers from exactly. other jobs, yep. and uh, that's a that's a good way. I I don't think we ever thought of that on uh, any other aspect of the job trying to get materials. That would have been a, a good tool to have back then, but I do remember we did um, we ordered. I want to say it was two 40-foot containers um, to help y'all get all the air handlers for the job yep. uh, for WebGen. Since we had the space, we had a whole bunch of uh, like 18 acres on the site. So we had plenty of room for storage. So we got a couple of Connexes out there. And then we went ahead and bought all of the air handlers for the entire job and brought them out so that we could lock in that price and uh, the availability before we were ever ready for it. I think they came in, we were, I think we were maybe on the fourth floor framing of the first building, like way early. And you've got air handlers. And we got air handlers for the whole job. Sitting Smart, there. Move. Smart move, mm -hmm. though, because you, you made it. Price increases were happening almost monthly. Oh, yeah. Monthly. And it could be 10% the next month. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and availability. Mm -hmm. was you know prices were going up availability was coming down and you know we're in the multifamily market mm -hmm. I mean, you can only you can only suffer so much with price increases mm -hmm. before it starts affecting everyone oh yeah and this um and i'm sure it has you guys in on multiple projects sure enough it has that was a uh, point of contention at the very beginning of that project that started um in 2001 the summer of 2001 and uh, that's when uh, lumber was out the roof. Uh, it was so expensive and the market was starting to come back down. And uh, so they locked in some prices on the downward slope of that. And so we we're kind of hoping that things were uh, gonna continue that pattern. Lumber was kind of setting the standard back then, uh, what everything else was gonna kind of do. So everybody was kind of hoping that everything else was gonna come down, but then you were still seeing every if it wasn't every month, it was at least every quarter you'd see a uh, spike in the um, percent on everything, whether it be 5%, 10% on drywall, lumber, um, HVAC equipment, everything yep. was going up. It was difficult back then. Electrical was hard to get. It was 
small components that make the whole piece they couldn't get and uh, made it difficult to get like uh we had disconnects that were difficult to get because they couldn't get some of the nuts and bolts to finish the parts down in mexico and yep. uh because it's a ul rated system you have to have those specific pieces to make it to work. finish it, to and, finish it yep. and so not getting those small pieces affected things as a on a global scale yep and it, it goes down to the fine details for you know not only not only my trade but all the trades you know just for instance refrigerant mm -hmm. you know at one point it, it shot up to over 500 dollars a jug gracious for yeah. those little pink jugs yes yep for the, for the little for the little jugs the little pink jugs man and you know you think you know you don't think much about that but when you're doing you know 300 units on a job and you know you're buying 80 jugs of Mm -hmm. a refrigerant that has quadrupled in price mm -hmm. you know that that'll kill your budget on a job oh yeah mm. can you walk us through uh what happened with the uh the sear changing what exactly is that and why did it change and what happened um well there's a there's a there's a periodic energy evaluation let's call it that goes mm -hmm. on in the united states and you know across across the world i guess but you know they look at how they can save energy what's environmentally friendly so there's going to be a refrigerant change as well coming in 2025 um so but the sear rating is just you know to raise the efficiency um to help with the power grid I mean they're constantly looking ways to you know save energy save pricing you know power companies are going up on energy because of lack you know our our um energy is coming down mm -hmm. you know our our energy dependency is going up mm -hmm. so energy companies are going up on rates and it's it's more of a a lobbying thing mm -hmm. um where you know there's going to be changes made in the industry to improve but it's not a you can do what we've done in the past couple of years and you can move towards this new one it's you have to stop doing what we've been doing and you have to do this new thing that's you right. don't have a choice you don't have a choice that's right manufacturers have to make their equipment yep. based off of those requirements and you have to buy and install based on that's of right those manufacturing has stopped on the old on the old equipment mm -hmm. so you know we for instance, we still have jobs that are that are ongoing because durations have lasted longer, and a lot of companies didn't go out on that limb and buy buy the equipment, put it in storage, whether they you know whether they didn't have the room, whatever the circumstances were. Mm -hmm. So now it's a struggle. There's still the Sear One equipment out there. Mm -hmm. It's just a struggle to find. All right. So say I'm an owner. I'm about to build a building. It's 2023. We're prepping to build and starting, say, third quarter, uh, 2024, moving into 2025. We've got a new refrigerant uh, that's coming out in 2025. How do I price up equipment that's going to be ready for that type of equipment now? Well, what they'll do is they'll, they'll give you a grace period for that mm -hmm. refrigerant. Um, so, it, you know, it's like when 22 kind of went out, you know, it, it went out on a certain date mm -hmm. when they had to stop manufacturing but the manufacturers stocked up on it because mm -hmm. you got to have it i mean there's millions of units out out here with you know r22 still mm -hmm. and so they'll give you that grace period there's as far as prepping for the price 
Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to do because you don't know what the price is going to be yet, Mm -hmm. you know, at this point. And we won't know the price changes probably until they may give you a 90 to 120 day notice. We don't we don't even know truly what the refrigerant is going to be. There's been, you know, talk about it and things like that, but we don't know truly what exactly it's going to be. Okay, how do we plan for, okay, if we want to get in before that change happens and we need to go ahead and get that equipment uh, under the um, standards that are currently in place, but we want a building that's going to last for 50 years, right? We want equipment that's going to last for the next 10 to 20 years before it needs any major overhauls. So with the equipment that we're using now that's going to be quote-unquote out of date in the next year and a half two years um how do you maintain that equipment after the fact if they're not going to be manufacturing that equipment anymore how do you how do you justify getting equipment that's going to be outdated as soon as you get the building well the same it's kind of the same as as we did back when 22 when 14 took over 22 um the parts will stay the same there may be some small adjustments in in the coils, things like that. Um, the attachments to to the service ports mm-hmm. to the units. There may be some change in that since the new refrigerant is going to be more than likely a higher propane base than than what it is now. Um, we won't know exactly how long they're going to manufacture until DOE comes out with. Or EPA comes out with a with a, a rule, a law that says, mm-hmm. "Hey, well, they got to stop at this date." You know, I haven't seen that yet. So, there's really no way if you're going to build a building at this time. I mean, the equipment's not available. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're kind of in that in that area. There's no you don't have a choice but to go with the old equipment. Um, but like 22, what they did was a manufacturer. They they started. Um, producing a drop-in which is compatible with the with the refrigerant the r22 okay and they'll do the same for 410 they'll make a they'll make a drop-in and what that is is like a a substitute for Mm -hmm. it'll be really expensive for for a while and then you know but there'll always be a way even even when the new refrigerant comes in in 25 we're still going to be servicing units that have R22 mm-hmm. from back in, I think, 2010 is when mm-hmm. that changed, if I remember correctly. So there, there's always a way to do it. There's okay. always a way to do it. Um, it may not be as cost-efficient as everyone would like, but until they let us know exactly what the dates are going to be and what the what the rules are going to be, the laws, the manufacturing dates stopping, we don't know. Okay. That sounds like so much fun. It, it, trust me, it's, it's fun. And we, you know, the HVAC, HVAC industry has gone through it numerous times mm-hmm. with changes. Seems like it's relatively often. It is. It is. And it, and it's, like I said, it's constant. It's, it's government. Mm-hmm. It's government. Yeah. So, and that's just, <laughs> that's all I can say is it's government, <laughs> man. It's, they love to uh, put requirements on us. Yeah. So you get the job, go through the VDC effort. It goes to the ops side. What happens after that? Uh, once it goes to the ops, first uh, first thing we do is we start reviewing everything that's coming out of pre-con. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then we start getting 
Um, we'll have a takeoff that comes out of pre-con as well. We'll start reviewing that takeoff, which is our materials. Mm -hmm. um, we'll start matching submittals to equipment. We'll just start trying to review everything as a team because we have each each job has has a has a, a PM team. That mm -hmm. PM has an APM. That APM or that PPM has an APM. PPM manages those guys or ladies, whichever it may be, and then they just start reviewing everything. Then we'll start cutting POs. To okay. our vendors so they know hey this is coming you know mm -hmm. we want to give them enough time to to get their materials in place as well how much time do you have to give them um now mm -hmm. i would say it kind of it, it varies a lot of times we try to give them six weeks okay um at this point um sometimes they only need to it depends on the equipment it depends on what what it is um Say for your standard, you're going to do your uh, non-weather sensitive rough. We're going to go in and do our outside air and our exhaust, and it's just largely pipe um, and no flex. How much time you got to have for that? Um, right now, we're, we're trying to give six weeks. Okay. A six-week look ahead because our PMs work based their schedules on six weeks because mm -hmm. um, we create our own schedules in-house as well after after we receive, receive your schedule. Mm -hmm. We'll sit down and create our own schedule for our guys. Um, with, with the look ahead. Mm -hmm. And so, but to answer your question, you know, four weeks minimums, you know, six weeks probably max, unless okay. it's a long lead time item. Okay. What are long lead time items right now? Long lead time items are, you know, um, special made to order items, mm -hmm. garage fans, um, could be certain types of fire dampers, depending on what, you know, what is specced out. Mm -hmm. um, typically, your basic things, pipe, flex, right now, they're not long lead, lead time items. It's just specialty items that mm -hmm. are different on each job. Okay. Six-inch flex is six-inch flex mm -hmm. for the most part. You know, you're going to use that same six-inch flex on. But a garage fan, you know, your your voltages, your horsepowers, your CFMs, all that changes from job to job. Mm -hmm. um, so anything like that that's not just a standard everyday item is going to be what's considered specialty okay so like when you get into the commercial side and you've got um stuff that's a little more complicated like vavs they got to get hard piped in and um, have um more um electrical requirements and stuff and specialty pieces that go with it and stuff like that would be a long longer lead longer, time yeah some of those some of those items we're looking at 16 18 weeks Okay. Yeah. Air handlers, chillers, cooling towers, yeah. all that's several months. Yeah, can be several months. Mm -hmm. e even down to like, you know, instead of having a meal finish louver mm -hmm. for like an exhaust or a fresh air, if GC says or, you know, design team, architect, I want it painted. You know, that can take a six-week lead time and turn it into a 12 to 16-week lead time. Is that... Is that something that is painted at their factory or the finish is changed at the factory? Or is that something where you buy the raw material, you buy that louver, and you have it, um, the finish changed after the fact? No, that's done at the factory from the okay. manufacturer most of, most of the time. Um, okay. They can be field painted, mm -hmm. which is what I normally recommend. Is like, you know, mm -hmm. you pick the paint, you paint, we'll get, we'll order it, paint mm -hmm. grip, um, and then you don't have to wait and you mm -hmm. can just have your painter spray them. Okay. Um, but if you want it to come, you know powder coated from the factory 
Yeah. It takes a lot longer. It takes a lot longer, and they're going to do it there. And then, then it's a it's handling it once you receive it, because you can't scratch it. You can't, you know. So now you got a storage issue, to where you've got to put it somewhere until it can be installed. Mm-hmm. That there's no damage. Minimizing the uh, the movement of material is definitely key to making sure that things go better. Yep, absolutely. Um, have you uh, have you heard of the lean construction process? I have. I'm very familiar with the lean. Okay. Um, so how often are you seeing the lean process uh, used by GCs nowadays? Um, I'm, it's, it's more on the larger project. Mm-hmm. Student housing, they're, they're really getting into using that um, to, try to, to try to, you know, mitigate people being on top of each other as much. Um, but it's really, you know, I would say I've seen probably builders using it 30% more than what I saw five years ago okay yeah that's something that our company has um taken on and we're instituting throughout the company and all right. our jobs are running on that uh lean process from um the morning huddles to the pull plans and the three-week look aheads and the percent plan complete each week that sort of deal yeah to try and um make the entire process as efficient um as possible uh because a lot of the things that we do are not efficient and yeah. we need to fix that to make things better for us the uh, the way that the market has gone and getting so much more expensive to get uh, the same end product we've got to figure out better ways to do things yep and uh, so how are y'all doing that um to improve the processes yes is that you know as far as lean or in any way in any what way? are y'all doing to um, make the process more efficient and just overall better well as a team mm-hmm. as a company but you know as, as far as my region we we meet constantly mm-hmm. the pms and the um superintendents the apms we meet constantly to say hey this is where the job's at you know where and then we look at like the other trades as well it's kind of a lean process but not putting it on on a board or a wall or something you know it's like hey where are the electricians at this day you know they're coming in behind us are they catch it you know are they are we holding them up or is the plumber ready for us what are we doing i'm making sure our materials are on site is number one key to, to getting the process going. Um, and then, you know, it, it's mainly scheduling. It's communication. And what I've found is if we can get a general contractor superintendent to really have empathy in what we're doing, not sympathy, but empathy, mm-hmm. to understand what's going on, to say, hey, we really need this in order to be productive. If we can convince that individual to look at it that way, then it makes everyone's life easier, including that. And it makes the process from our end, your end, everything goes smoother. And we're really focusing on that training with our superintendents now to so they know how to communicate better with the on-site superintendent, the general contractor superintendent, to say, hey, this is what we need instead of just having you know, in the past, it's been yelling matches. You should be here. Why are you not there? Why is your inspection not done? And it all comes from lack of communication 
and not always on our part, not always on the GC's part, just a lack of communication as a whole to say why, you know, instead of understanding why we're where we're at, we are where we're at, you know, it's just a, a, a finger pointing, your fault, your fault, your fault. And we're really trying to get away from that with our superintendents and communicating that, you know, hey, Mr. Superintendent, um, your plumber, you know, he hasn't gotten out of these apartments yet or this area yet, so we need to adjust our schedule. Um, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier with our PMs are doing their own look-aheads off of your schedule so they can adjust and, you know, also speak with the superintendent or the project managers on the job and say, this is what we need for you from you for in order for us to be successful. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to help quite a bit. And that, that does come with the lean process, whether you like it or not. If you follow the, the, the process, it will get you there. Because to do that process, you do have to have that communication. You have to get good at that communication. Yeah, to understand everybody's part in it is important to be able to plan um, effectively on how to uh, get through whatever stage of the project you're in. If you don't take into account information from the person who's an expert at that task and you just base the information or the decisions on the uh the experience you've had in the past and you're missing a piece or you've forgotten it then that's going to cause a problem yeah. you got to listen to the people who are the ones doing the work but those people also has to have to be able to communicate that information to yeah, you also. absolutely so i so i haven't I haven't had any experience with lean through you guys mm -hmm. um, on your projects, um, but in the past, what I've noticed is the the lean process starts out really, really well. You know, everybody's given their dates and their durations and where they're going to be and how they're going to get there, and but there's no leadership from the GC. So we, you have a superintendent or a project manager that is sitting back just watching the process happen. And instead of jumping in and saying, hey, Mr. HVAC guy, you know, you're telling me you can be here on this date, but you haven't looked at my drywall or, you, or my insulation or whatever it may be ahead of you. They just kind of look back. And then when it doesn't happen, they say, well, you put it on the board that you would be there, you know, and, you know, as a as a new generation of superintendents, let's call it, coming up um, from the GC side and, you know, the subcontractor side, it's, you know, the experience levels have changed mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Everything's, you know, technology these days, and there, there's no real, you know, I'm a leadership type of person. I mean, I, I like to see leadership and guidance from the GC, not you don't know our trade or more than likely you don't just like if we were, if we could build the building, we would, mm -hmm. right. We're not general contractors, you know, but it would help if they, you know, if the superintendents understood the process that the subs are going through a little more so they could help guide the way instead of everyone just jumping up and throwing up. Date. That's when I see the lean process go wrong mm -hmm. is when everybody's throwing up their dates and then you get a bunch of people on top of each other um, and all, then it just becomes a finger pointing. Well, you said you were not you were going to be done by this date, or you said you know you weren't going to start on this date. Um, you know, there's a lot more to it than just putting up your schedule. Mm -hmm. um, it's a great process. It's a great process, but we all know 
sometimes sometimes you might have a subcontractor that has 10 guys available that day mm-hmm. and he sends 10 guys well if he gets ahead of schedule when you're doing a lean process that affects that affects process. everybody yeah right so he's like well you know if i can't you know if i now i gotta pull five of my guys off because the job's moving too slow mm-hmm. no the job's not moving too slow you just don't have consistent you're not consistent on what you're you're giving me mm-hmm. so it's a balance it's mm-hmm. a balance and it's, it's really important to have that leadership from the from the superintendent the gc superintendent gc project manager to kind of guide that way to guide the subs in the way to say hey let's look at what we're doing every day i know it takes an extra 30 minutes 45 minutes whatever it may be and everyone's anxious to get out in the field and go to work because time is money mm-hmm. but it's costing more time to fix all the problems that come with it than it does to just take that 45 minutes and work it out right then mm-hmm. so that's what that's the long answer well no that, <laughs> no that uh brings up a few things um, one of them is if you do the process correctly and you do all parts of it and you have to do all parts of it to really take the full advantage of the system is, uh, you have to do the daily huddles where you're in there for about 15 to 20 minutes talking with everybody about what's happening that day. And then maybe what's happening the very next day. And so you're taking care of the immediate issues then you're also talking about your pull plan and that pull plan is your uh, next major milestone where you get in and you talk about how you're going to get there right you know working your way backwards right and that's where everybody's making their commitments um but we have to make sure that you're making commitments based off of the uh the contracts that we were um everybody signed um to durations and um productivity um, and not doing things out of sequence. It's key for the, um, the GC team to make sure that you aren't going to get out of order unless it makes sense overall. So just because it'll be easier if you can get in there to do your thing, uh, ahead of when you thought you were going to, doesn't mean that that's going to make it easy for the other person it has to come behind you maybe make it more difficult for them so then you got to talk about whether or not that's a good idea or if you need to just chill out wait until they get their um, task done and then you come in and uh, get in behind them just because you got more people may not make it the um, correct or best way for the project as a whole yep. just because you've got extra manpower right now you getting done early doesn't always make everything right. better. It may, it, most of the time it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It, it hurts the people behind you coming in. And then you've also got to do the third part, which is the uh, percent plan complete, where you review it each week and uh, go over the commitments that were made for that week and the production rates that you agreed to that week and how many things actually got hit uh, and how many things got missed. And why did they get missed? Evaluate why. Was it a material supply issue that's going to carry into the next week or two weeks? Is it a um, weather delay? Is it a uh, RFI or ASI or more information that we're waiting on from the design team or the owner to make a decision on? Is it uh, stuff that's just completely out of our hands or is it something that we just didn't follow through on the commitments that were made right um but you've got to take all that into account when you're making your plans for the next week or the next three weeks 
um, and make sure that ultimately they don't affect that major milestone that you did all the effort of doing the pool plan where you spend an entire day in a room locked up with a bunch of guys uh, yelling and hollering at each other, deciding on how you're going to get there. Yep, that's and right. if you fall short of those goals each week, then you're going to fall short of that milestone. Absolutely. And yeah. that goes back to the leadership part. I mean, mm -hmm. It's really, you know, my opinion, and it's just my opinion, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times the superintendents um, kind of let the subcontractors kind of make their own schedules when they're, when they're doing, doing a pool plan like that. And I just feel that needs to be a lot of, a lot of guidance, a lot of leadership in that saying, Hey, you know, from my experience, you know, working with this it hasn't worked this way mm -hmm. um and you know you can't just throw a subcontractor into this scenario that hasn't done the pull plan mm -hmm. that hasn't had to, to keep up with those commitments in the past they're just kind of saying you know oh well um patrick wants me done by the six so as long as i'm done by the six doesn't matter mm -hmm. you know so but it does matter because mm -hmm. you got people behind you that need to be done on the six as well that you're you're pushing into you know they're trying to cram all their work into two days instead of five days because you didn't proceed with with your dates mm -hmm. so it is key to make sure that you you uh you guide that circus because that's yep. what it can be is a, a circus of a bunch of people and a bunch of ideas being thrown around all at one time and uh everybody thinks they're right and so you do have to have a leader there to be able to make sure it all stays on track and that's our responsibility to make sure that everybody understands the goal, where we're headed, and um, how we get there is what we're there to figure out. That's right. During that meeting. And everybody's opinion matters and needs to be considered. But just because we don't take your opinion or we don't make that the final plan doesn't mean it's not valuable opinion to have. It just may not work with the project uh, as a whole. And that's our part is to make sure that we're thinking about the project as a whole uh, and all the parts and pieces that go into it to make sure that they all work together and not making sure that we're catering just to one aspect of it, making right. sure that every part of that goes well. We're going to make sure all of them do. And right. so it, there is a balance. Yep. And I'll give you an example, a huge example is up until about five, six years ago, air handlers were always installed on the rough end stage. You know, there was pre-rock put in the closets. Now the owners um, have have started wanting a better finish inside the mechanical closets. But it really, by doing that, it really pushes the subs to, it's like a race to the end. Because without the air handler, you know, now, now the you know, we got to get in before the plumber puts his water heater in. So yep. now he's waiting on us if he has his water heaters on site because we've been waiting on the drywall finish. We've been waiting on the painter if they're going to that level with the closet. Now the electrician can't do his work. Now we've got a live sprinkler head in a closet, which happens all the time. A sprinkler head gets busted, you know, and flood, floods units um, all because that process has changed. And I don't understand why it's changed throughout the years, but it, it's really changed and it, and it sets the entire project back, I would say three weeks, three to four weeks, just by not doing that on the rough end. Yeah, that has changed. 
the way we sequence that work has changed a little bit. We do things uh, a little bit different than that now. Yeah, and a it's, lot not, of it's it not just you no. guys. It's, it's, it's everyone. It's very rare that you get that you get to push install your air handlers on on a on a rough end. Yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. Of a of a building, once in a once in a blue moon, you'll get a, the older the older the older supers, guy that's yeah. like, This is how I'm going to do it. Okay. And, and and we're so happy. I mean, we're so happy. One, we get the bill for it. Mm-hmm. Two, it, I mean, it's just you know we're in there with with a flame. You know we're. We're not really working around a finished product. We're not so much worried about busting a sprinkler head or mm. damaging a water heater or whatever it may be, mm. you know, burning the paint on a wall. Um, it happens. Mm. So, but so it slows the process down some by doing it on the final. Okay. I got one thing that I want to talk about that didn't happen on WebGen, and uh, it's it happened before you came over to J.R. Hobbs. But this is something I want everybody to understand, everybody that's listening. When we're doing it, that that process now, right? Um, you're doing your rough in. Uh, you're putting in your supply box and your damper in the ceiling of the uh, mechanical room, putting your line sets in. I don't care who it is. You've got to get the sub to go in there and fire caulk the line sets before you put the air handler in before you put the water heater in because if you wait until afterwards it's so difficult to get to them and be able to do a quality job on that fire caulking through the ceiling and through the floor um that was what we ran into and it was just it was so hard to get back to it and get back behind it and between the line set and the wall right and uh, we had tried to tell the guy that was on site to make sure that they get in there now, yep. fire caulk everything while you have access to it and easy access to it. There's no issues. And when you're tying in the rest of the system later on, you might have some cracks and you might pull it out a little bit. But overall, it's not going to be that bad and you're going to already have the majority of the work done and you're not going to shoot yourself in the foot by trying to do it after the fact when stuff's in your way and you've put that stuff right. in your way. And that is something that the guys need to really truly understand. They've got to do things in the right order and well thought out and not put your foot in your mouth. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, they should have, they should have listened and, mm-hmm. and work, work with the team to make that happen. Um, I will say this, a lot of, and I don't know exactly how that job went with the inspection departments. Um, I wasn't involved until the end, but a lot of times the inspection department, you know, the fire caulking happens on the floor. Mm-hmm. on the rough end as well the wood the, mm-hmm. the raw wood yeah you know um which is sufficient for code but then when then jip creek gets poured flooring goes in and then the inspection department wants you to come back and fire caulk again that's right and that shouldn't be the process a lot of a lot of jurisdictions do not require you to do that mm-hmm. um now, gwinnett county does yeah gwinnett county does um as far as the ceiling, ceilings have always been a problem. Mm. Um, I kind of have a, I have a process that I like to see, mm-hmm. um, and what I don't like to see is a is a bunch of fire caulk packed into a ceiling to cover holes. Mm-hmm. So, the biggest issue that we run into doing that, and this is on all jobs, is 
we we try to bring they should try to bring each line set through the floor through a sleeve or a whole you know four inches max mm-hmm. diameter um sometimes you can get about two maybe in that hole and it goes up through the ceiling if you've got let's say four of those coming up depending on the size of the building mm-hmm. and you take them through the ceiling what happens is not a finger pointing, but the drywall guy, when he goes to put his drywall in, he pulls them all together. Yes, he does. Right? And he cuts his hole and boom. But when they come back and finish it, really they should be finishing that area to win it within about a quarter inch of the of the refrigerant lines. That's right. Um, they don't. So then it, it becomes, and this is where it goes back to, like I said, a superintendent, a GC superintendent having, you know, empathy and understanding that if they had have done that, then it, we could jump up there, put a quarter inch, you know, bead of caulk around it, and we're good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, we're, we're up there trying to fill a three-inch gap around all these line sets. So, yeah, it, it's, a tough, it's a tough scenario, but you're right. It should be done before the air handler goes in, before any obstacles are in your way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing with that, and we know this is all production work, is – Anytime you do that, the subcontractor comes back and says, well, I want more money. Oh, yeah. You know, because I'm, you know, I normally do it when the air handler is installed. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, if that's the case, we have to eat that money. Um, what I'd like to see is for the superintendent to say, I'm going to take care of that. Our superintendent. Mm. Our, our superintendent say, okay, I'm going to jump on that. Um, even if he has to make a phone call to the office, whatever he has to do to his project manager to say, hey, you know, they want me to do it this way. Come look at it. You know, it can be worked out a lot of different ways. Um, yeah, but I don't. I don't like to wait to the last minute, and I don't like a messy look looking clock. That's like somebody got peeve. shot up in there. Yeah, that's my mm-hmm. pet peeve. Yeah, and, and you know, and it, it's it's not just us. I see it mm-hmm. with I see it with everyone. There, you know, if fire marshals jurisdictions, let's say, really held us to details. I don't know if one would ever pass, to be honest with you. And not and when I say us, I mean as a as a, as a as construction a yeah. industry. You know, well, if you do stuff in Athens, uh, the uh, the fire marshals will do a pull test. Yeah, yeah. And if they do that pull test, yeah, that's where yeah. you find out you're where right. you're weak. Yeah, I've done it. In, I've done it in Athens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Athens is real strict about doing that yeah. pull test. Cobb County can be also. Gwinnett County wasn't that way, but yeah, Gwinnett County did have that. Um, that additional step where they had us do it before we poured the gypcrete, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't let us pour the gypcrete until it was done. And then when it comes around time for final inspections, and you've already done it below the gypcrete, um, but they can't see it. And when we've had a new fire marshal, because we went through three on that job. Um, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it got handed over to three different fire marshals throughout the process. And when we're hit with a new fire marshal, they don't know for sure uh, that something was done. And so do it again. Do it again. Just so mm-hmm. we know. Better safe than sorry. Yep. So well, what what I like to see is when a sleeve in the ceiling and the floor. I'd love to see that. Um, that's my pet peeve mm-hmm. for that. And that's what I've required in the past mm-hmm. from from my teams is you know that way you're not if the drywall is not fired that's the drywall's problem yep all i need to seal is inside of my pipe 
where my, you know, mm-hmm. as long as I can get my annular space, get my firecock in, then I'm I'm rated for what I'm required to be. Mm-hmm. The hole in the drywall, that's the that's the drywall guy's problem. Okay, what you know, about? Uh, I don't mean to say problem, but yeah, that, yeah. that falls under him. What about the detail where? Okay, so you got a, a sleeve that comes through drywall ceiling. You've got to fill the space inside of the sleeve mm-hmm. that where the line set comes through. Um, so you do rock wall and you do fire caulk around it, but you also have to penetrate where it goes through the um, drywall system, where it goes through that uh, floor ceiling assembly, where it penetrates that. That also has to get fire caulk. You mean the sleeve itself? The sleeve itself to the drywall, correct? Yeah. Well, typically, what a, what a Ideally, mm-hmm. if the drywall guy, it doesn't have to be fire caught. Mm-hmm. It just there can't be more than I think. I think the um, an eighth of an inch that they can have around that. Okay, but what about when the fire marshal says that's a penetration through drywall? Yeah, you need well, a fire then, caulk. Then it. you got to fire caulk it. Yeah. Then you just got to fire caulk it. But um, who who is that? Is that a drywall man or is um, that you? We would do it. Mm-hmm. We would do it. I mean, it just that argument is. That's typically who I would go to. Yeah, you know, you're that, the one who made the penetration, right. whether that be a sleeve or you just right. sticking the line set through yeah. the ceiling. I'm gonna go to you for that. Yeah. Well, well, like I said, typically, and that's where that's where the confusion comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, we really didn't make that penetration. Mm-hmm. If the sleeve is there on rough end. Yeah. It's actually the drywall guys, but that now now we're you know, yeah, you know. We're, you're splitting hairs at that yeah, point. Splitting hairs at that point. And it's just at that point you're not going to get a drywall guy to come back and do fire caulk. Yeah, yeah. And but if the fire and like I said, if the if the drywall guy does his part mm-hmm. and gets it within a quarter inch, it's, it's not, not that a big, big of a deal. deal. It's not yeah. a big deal. It's when they they jump in and their production work as well. Oh yeah, we know. And so it's when you go walk in and you look up and you know you can take a golf ball and run around it and push it up into the ceiling all the way around because that's the gap you had that. That that's when I would say, look, get your drywall guy to come back, get me as close to the pipe as he can, and then I'll have my my people come in and put a bead of caulk around it. And that's what I would do. Yeah, I would have them come in, do a hot patch, yep. get up closer to it. I'll make them give you a quarter inch. Yeah, because now now instead of me using a, a tube of fire caulk, mm-hmm. you know, I've used a bead of fire caulk yep. around a pipe, and we move on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's the only thing. That's where the conflict. Mm. kind of comes in and you know and it's looking it's just look everybody's trying to make money mm-hmm. everybody if it's one or two you do what you got to do and you move on but if it's a whole building or two buildings and you've got that issue then yeah I, oh yeah I it can multiply yeah very quickly water guy to come back and after they come back once mm-hmm. typically you don't have the problem on the rest of the building unless no. it's a different crew yeah if you set that standard early on they're not going to want to go through that effort again so they'll make sure they do it when they do it the first time fix it you hold them to that standard early on and then they'll make sure that that standard's carried on throughout the rest of the project so so i can complain and say well the drywall guys pull our line sets together and they make it hard for us but then i can also look at me and say well we could have done a better job Mm -hmm. getting the sleeve in there giving them something to work with a lot of times it's a space issue Mm -hmm in the ceiling um but you know we could give them something better to work with Mm -hmm. and um you know they could probably do a better job if we you know well a space thing um is something that we've learned in the last couple of projects making sure that um in these wood frame buildings that we've got enough space for your supply duct and trying to do everything we can to make sure it's centered in the space 
in that mechanical room so that you do have room one for light, two for line set, three for the fire sprinkler. Trying to make sure that no matter where we put that supply, there's enough room for those things. And uh, we have to do that early enough where when we're doing the shop drawings for the trusses, we're taking that into consideration and making sure that the standard uh, 24 inch on center, which doesn't give you um, the 22 inches that you need clearance for a supply duct, you've got to move those uh, trusses out about three inches so that you do get that 22 inches for that supply duct coming out of the air handler and you can get through those trusses and you're not trying to modify the shape of that air handler because you can't change the CFM right. that's going through there. So you can make it skinnier and wider, but that's going to take up a lot more ceiling space. Yep. And trying to do that early on is something that you've got to uh, take into account so that you don't have that issue later yeah, on down Absolutely. The road. And once you put an offset in a closet, you got you're out of room yeah you're out of room now and mm -hmm. your line sets are already there now that's when you got the mess of i can't get a i can't get the fire caulk in mm -hmm. the drywall can't do a nice job for what yep. he needs to do it turns into a punch list nightmare mm -hmm. um and so yeah that's a great thing i, I love seeing when trust layouts come out mm -hmm. and it has our our duck our duck in the closet marked so mm -hmm. we can look and see if it's laying over a truss and say, hey, we need to spread this one, mm -hmm. whatever it is. I mean, that's... That's that's definitely one of the things that uh, Jay and I have tried to do in the last couple of projects is to make sure that's accounted for. And when we first start doing trusses with the framer, once they get their first section of trusses uh, on site for the next floor up, uh, we will get those laid out, make sure that they've done it the way that is shown on the shops. And then we'll take the plumber and HVAC into those units, and most of them are pretty standard, walking through those units, looking at the layout. Okay, we've done six units right here in this section, laid the, out these floor trusses. Let's make sure that there's no trusses over any standpipes. There's trusses have enough space in the mechanical units we don't have the trusses flip the wrong direction so that you don't have cross braces where you've got to run your exhaust right. or your outside air and you've got to change your routing because every time you change your routing might affect the plumber's sanitary coming out of a, um, a, uh, a toilet or a shower tub. Yeah. Uh, so making sure that everybody has put their eyes on these typical units and given their blessing that they can come in here and they can do their rough in the way it's set out so that there's a standard for this framer. Okay, this one, even though it does show it here on shop drawings, is going to be in the way of the standpipe for this toilet stack. You got to make sure it's off to the side or they didn't see that it needs to be offset uh, to the left-hand side of that HVAC closet because we're not mounting it on the back wall or having to mount it on the sidewall for whatever reason or some other uh, reason that we've got to adjust it but once you go in there and you actually see the space uh, in person with those trusses there with the superintendent from the HVAC and from plumbing and sprinkler too sometimes depending on whether they've got a main running through that area or not but making sure everybody's put their eyes on it and said okay we're good but if there is something that needs to change we need to know about it now right. so that 
you can start making those changes moving forward and you haven't built half a building and then have to go back and change all of them. Yep, that's right. And then that's a great point. And the biggest thing, you've done your part at that point. Now we've got to do our part to make sure that we're installing it. Mm-hmm. Every every trade is installing everything the same. Mm-hmm. You know, not a new crew comes in and now they're running this way. I see that happen a lot. You know, you do yeah. a mock-up and everybody's happy and, you know, we're moving on and production's going and, every, every, you know, everything's going. And then, boom, a new crew comes on site and it changes everything. Uh, mock-up's a great point. You bring in whoever you have available on a job site to come do your mock-up for yep. the GC. But that crew's never going to step foot out yep. on that exactly. job ever again. Yep. You can't have that. Exactly. You got to have whoever it is that's going to be doing that job needs to be the one that does that. Yep that understands and we call it a first look Uh, we'll do a first look for um, just about every single trade Um, we'll do a first set of units uh, for rough in or we'll do the first look for a window being installed for waterproofing details stuff like that to make sure that the crew that's there going to be installing whatever that trade is whatever that task is and they're doing it the way that those specific drawings and those specific details call for and they're not installing it like the last job they did right and so that it's specific to this project and if they ever change out that crew for whatever reason got to do another one make sure that that new crew understands it understands the same same Mm -hmm. way yep you're right and if you don't you'll get in trouble you'll have to fix it some point down the road deal with it now when they're new or deal with it down the road and you got to fix 150 of them yep that's right Mm mm-hmm so, yeah, that's a that's a hard lesson learned. Yeah, definitely a hard lesson. We've all learned it. Oh yeah, that's you know that's mm-hmm. the that's the thing. And one, once you learn that lesson, they should. You would think the subs as mm-hmm. well. E- even the installers would say, "Hey, yeah, you know, it cost me a day's worth of work on this past project here, so I'm gonna make sure." But sometimes they don't. They don't. They They're just keep doing it the way they've always scope done. Driven. It. They're scope mm-hmm. driven. So a lot of them are just driven by sheer production. What, what's the production rate you typically see with, say, non-weather sensitive rough in a two-bedroom unit? Um, I like to try and break out my areas to around 20 units per area. Seems to work pretty well for the like one-week span mm-hmm. for most trades yep. um but what are the typical like production rates you see out of your crews? well on, on you know standard we'll we'll use garden style yeah as an example um they should but you know a five-man crew can typically rough in um 24 units in seven days okay is about seven working days. seven working days that's correct okay is about is what it takes them to do Okay. And again, it just all depends on how many issues there are. But it, you know, this perfect scenario, you know, six to seven days. So that's somewhere around days. three to four units a day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's pretty good. That's I typically do, depending on the crew. If I worked with the crew before, I do uh, four to five units a day if they've done well. If it's a pretty standard two-bedroom unit or a bunch of one-bedroom units yeah. so yeah three to four is pretty good and, and that all depends i mean mm-hmm. you know now nowadays you've got fresh air coming in with mm-hmm. fans and you know kitchen exhaust and you know depending on where you're at mm-hmm. um, you start throwing those things in it throws the numbers off a little bit but mm-hmm. i'm just looking at standard uh, average ap- apartment mm-hmm. you know that's what they should be able and that's to for do. non-weather sensitive roof. right 
All right, for a weather-sensitive rough where you have to put in an extra duckboard, you have to put in the flags, you have to make sure everything's taped well, you have to make sure there's no holes and stuff, and it takes a little bit more time. Yeah, no, let's back. I'm sorry. That That's for both. Okay, that's, that's for, for both. both. Dry and wet. Okay. We call it dry and wet rough. Yeah. For dry and wet rough, they should be able to do it in 24 apartments in seven working days is what that's, I expect. That's pretty good. You know, and that, and they're moving mm -hmm. doing that, and that and that depends on weather, things like that. But Now, does that include the corridors in those areas no. too? No. No. How much for corridors for your standard corridor um, where you've got, say— 150 foot corridor 100 to 150 foot um they can probably do maybe two a day okay those. if you know they're drying the dry and wet rough okay on that they can probably do two a day two corridors a day two corridors or a, a corridor in two days no no two corridors a day okay they should be able to do yeah because typically a corridor you know they've got a long run mm -hmm. that's going down to the furthest point dropping so that's one supply corridors are very easy to condition mm -hmm. um you know and then you know so they they typically have larger registers fewer runs okay so they don't want to see you know like in an apartment you walk in you've got you know maybe one in the bedroom one in the bathroom one mm -hmm. here, you know boom 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 um corridor they're just dumping the air into the corridor um well, that's if you're going to run like uh, a 10 or 12 inch flex and then you're going to have a register that tees off of it and it shrinks down to size right after that right yeah well typically you know a corridor depending on depending on the building you're looking let's say a two two ton unit mm -hmm. you know so a two ton unit we're looking at 800 cfm mm -hmm. so that's typically depending on space if, if you have the space you're gonna put 150 you're gonna put two supply ducts on one end and two two supply ducts on the other kind mm -hmm. of even them out yep. to, to get rid of your air because you want to get rid of, you know, you want to be able to use that 800 CFM so we're not putting pressure back on our blower, um, noise issues, things like that. Um, and then you're done. You got your return, which normally goes in it on the final, mm -hmm. you know, now because we're not setting air handlers on rough end again. Yep. And um and you uh, got a fire damper. Yeah. In the wall. Yeah. And and there, and you know there's no exhaust. You mm -hmm. you know you've got a fresh air maybe depending mm -hmm. on the building. You've got a fresh air coming in. Mm -hmm. And but it's all positive pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. And you got four supply ducts that return and you're done. How do y'all deal with the the supply duct coming out into the corridor? That's always an issue in wood buildings at least uh with the the structural aspect of that uh, corridor wall and trying to figure out how to get the correct CFM through that wall. Typically they show on the plans um, going over the header of the door. That's yeah. not always the best way to works. do it. It never works because you got a header there. Um, so what do you see as the normal fix? So the normal fix, and, and this comes from experience, mm -hmm. um, Again, corridors are very easy to condition. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're surrounded by conditioned air. Mm -hmm. um, doors are opening, doors are closing. You know, you've got different air coming from everywhere. Um, you can just try to get enough ducked out um, inside of the closet itself above the ceiling that you can run flex from that point all the way out into the corridor. Mm -hmm. You know, corridors are less um, noise sensitive no one's hanging out in the corridor. Yeah, that's true. You know, so they're just walking through. So so the, they're less noise sensitive. They don't, you know, and 
you're not sitting in one place. Like this room here, if it was hot in here, we would know it. Mm-hmm. You know, but if we just walked in and walked out, never know. Effect. And the same way with corridors. So now mm-hmm. we're just looking at pressurization, things like that. If you're moving your CFM, you're getting the correct pressurization. Um, and, you know, as simple as that. And then you've got your fresh air coming in. So that's going to help with any with any staleness or, you know, stagnant mm-hmm. air in, in the corridors or anything like that. So, so yeah, I like to, I guess I like to call it divide and conquer. If you can split it up and shrink it down in size so that you can get it through that structure, things can work out a little bit better. Trying to take a um, 24 by 18 supply out of a um, mechanical unit into a corridor is near impossible. Oh, yeah. 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 And yeah. so splitting that up into, say, um, getting your supply up into the ceiling and splitting off into two 12s in two different directions and then splitting that off from there, those 12s can get out into the corridor a heck of a lot easier. But say you got to put flex out in, or you got to put uh, the, um, duck board out in there into the corridor so that you can have five runs or four runs come off of it, uh, changing the shape uh, so that you can fit through uh, into the truss cavity is something we've done in the past. And then trying to keep everything opposite uh, side of the corridor from the uh, mechanical units Mm -hmm. like uh, fire um, sprinkler mains and domestic water mains keeping those opposite side of the corridor so that when you're coming out into the corridor with uh, your HVAC runs, you're coming out into the corridor and then immediately teeing off or dumping out uh, either side from there. And you're not going all the way across the corridor and having to try and get underneath right. it and right. lowering your ceiling heights. Um, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for sidewall registers. Yeah. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll make the suggestion, let's put a, let's put a, and it depends. I mean, is it a straight corridor? Is it a L shape mm-hmm. where you're turning a corner? You know, if it's a straight corridor, you know, I'll say, Hey, let's, let's take one of these supplies, put in the sidewall mm-hmm. right outside the mechanical closet. And let's just dump air into the corridor. And, and then it reduces the amount of duct. We, then we can take that trunk line and shrink it down mm-hmm. more and get it out. Um, if it's an L shape, I try to advocate mm-hmm. to put God, two one sides. on Yeah, two sides. Mm-hmm. And again, that re- that reduces that that duct size to where we can get out. There, there's there's a lot of ways to mm-hmm. do things. And like I said, it, it's corridors are just so easy to condition. And you know, we're all of no matter design, engineering, whatever we're doing, comfort is what what we sell. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's what it boils down to and and making getting the corridors comfortable for people that, you know, for the limited amount of time that they're in there is not a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of times it, it gets difficult just because it needs to be designed perfectly. Yeah. But, you know, with a corridor it's not you know, we're not working in hospitals. Um, it, obviously, if you're in a hospital, it makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we're just looking to, to, to make everyone comfortable. And, you know, that's when you start having that discussion with the engineer, architect, you know, hey, we can do it this way. They're normally on board with it. Mm-hmm. We just want to get air out there so, so you're not sweating. You're comfortable getting yeah. from your car to your yeah. apartment. Yep. And we're not putting, you know, a, a, we're not slamming doors because we got a negative pressure or, you know, 
that you know they're the things that that we focus on instead of okay he says he wants a 24 by 12 duck there and we had to give him a 24 by 8 yeah or a 24 by 10 you know as long as we can redirect that air like to a sidewall or something yeah that's i don't think i've ever knock on wood had an issue with a corridor it's always been something that's like slamming me right in the face oh crap can't get that through that structure now what do we do and if you've never gone through it yep that's something that that takes a long time to figure out if it's a uh, relatively inexperienced gc superintendent and a relatively inexperienced superintendent from the hvac yep. contractor side too yep. boy you're just in a world of hurt you're just gonna bang your head up against the wall for a while <laughs> yep till yep. you finally figure it out and yeah, i've had to do that a few times oh yeah 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 learn over time yeah so now that you've got all the work in the place how do you qc your work um we we have a very extensive qc process okay um now what again you have to use it mm -hmm. you know to benefit from it um but we we use smart sheets i think you and i discussed this mm -hmm. we use smart sheets there's a qc process on there for our superintendent there's a QC process on there for our project managers. It's even down to if I go on a job, there's a QC process there for me. Okay. So if I go on a job, they, they want me to go through this QC process um, to make sure. So our QC process is, you know, one, we do a daily pre-task. All of our superintendents should be doing daily pre-task. And this is, this is something that's monitored and that we track daily. Mm. Um, daily pre-task is setting up what we're going to do for that day. It's a pull plan yep. for, for our subcontractor, our superintendents, whatever that may be. Um, with that daily pre-task, our superintendents should be taking the daily pre-task, and that's what they should be comparing their QC to for that day. Mm -hmm. This is a daily process, a daily QC process. Okay. Um, during that process, they can also let their team know that there was a problem so we we have a we have a method that says this gets flagged so our pm gets it um we discuss that like a like a color like a like a stoplight mm -hmm. if it's red it's bad we all see it we all know there's an issue we're going to work on that we need to get that fixed um they may they may put it on a yellow and say hey you know subcontractor didn't fire call mm. and the gc asked us to do it um so then that'll go to the pm pm get with the superintendent they'll try to make that happen um but but our qc is walking walking every apartment every every whatever area you're working in that day should be reflected in your in your qc report mm -hmm. when it comes in at the end of the day okay or the next day depending on when the work is completed what do y'all do with those reports after you get them so they've gone through the effort to walk all the units and double check everything make sure it's good okay so now they've done that initial check and how do they manage the um correction of any items that aren't correct um if it, it depends on who whose responsibility is if it, okay. if it's gc's responsibility then the pm or the superintendent will we'll get with with the field team there and work that out if it's our subcontractors 
responsibility, then we try to get them to do it as mm -hmm. well. Um, but if it's something that is kind of that gray area, who should have done it, then the superintendent should be just getting it done and being over with. Okay. That way we don't have that. I don't, I don't want to be on your punch list mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And, you know, that's to jump forward. That's what kills everyone at the end of a job. Coming back 30 coming times. back, you know, fix. Because you've got your QC one, mm -hmm. and you've got the architects and then the, the engineers and the owners yeah. and next thing you know you've done four five six punch lists mm -hmm. and it's like how do we get to this point that we've had this many punch look if you if if i'm getting punch items that that says you know there's a crack in the fire caulk or there's a scratch on the grill or a fan is noisy that's one thing mm -hmm. but if i'm getting punch lists that there's grills missing that, you know, there's no fire caught there's then that's a problem. That's when we have to stop and address. Um, so, it, so there's a fine line between, you know, what is a real punch item compared to a need and a want or let's, a deficiency. Yeah, item. A defi yeah. Let's call it that. You know, a owner always wants everything perfect. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately they can't, you know, I wish we everyone could turn over a hundred percent product, mm -hmm. um, perfect product, I should say. But you got to kind of look at that and and use your common sense and your experience to say, okay, we've got a GC issue, mm -hmm. a owner issue, or we've got a superintendent issue, mm -hmm. being our superintendent. And once we once we do see that we have a superintendent issue, then we have to address that whether it be on a PIP plan or whatever it be, mm -hmm. but, but we can't, we want to, we want to leave a quality product and multifamily has changed so much over the years that, you know, used to multi multifamily was just get it in as fast as you can go. We don't care what it looks like. We don't mm -hmm. care what it sounds like. Just get it in, make money, move. And this is from everybody from the GC down. And now multifamily has turned in, you know, to more of a commercial product. And everyone is noticing every flaw you have. So we, we really try to pay attention to the QC. I see the QC list for the most part. I don't see them if, you know, if there's a small problem, I don't see it. But if if we get something flagged from our field that says this is a, this is a problem, it's emailed to me immediately. As okay. soon as they flag it, and that's done through the um, what do you call it? Smart sheets. Sheet. Smart sheets. Yeah, through our in-house mm -hmm. deal. Yep. Okay. So, how do you use all of that information? Last time we talked, you said it was all um, <coughs> KPI, known points of uh, known points of information yeah. or interest or something. Yeah. yeah. KPI is basically yeah. analytics, right? Yep. So how do y'all use that KPI to your advantage? Well, it just helps us track. I mean, it, hel it helps us see when, you know, who's doing what. Mm -hmm. um, you know, let let's just use safety okay. for an example. It's a great thing. Um, I'm huge on safety, so mm -hmm. I like, you know, um, we track it. Um, you know, if your superintendent on your site doesn't have his rigging and signaling, then I get alerted every week hey this guy hasn't completed his training this guy so then that gives me we have a safety director and that's all he does that mm -hmm. gives me the 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 point to go 
and say, hey, Mr. Gamash, what have we got to do to get this guy where he needs to be? And that that's kind of the same way with everything. So it just helps us track everything we do. And by tracking, tracking is knowledge. You know, we know, we know what's happening, we know what's not happening without having to be right over your shoulder micromanaging you. Mm-hmm. You know, I can tell what you're, what you're doing for the most part without, you know, maybe I don't get to talk to you for a week or what, because everybody's busy. I can mm-hmm. still go back and say, okay, here, here's his, I mean, we track everything. Daily reports, safety reports, toolbox talk, whatever you want to call it, we track mm-hmm. all that. Um, and I can look at those percentages and say, hey, Miss, Mr. Smith, we got an issue. I need you to come to the office and get your PM in here. We're going to have a discussion about this and figure out why this is not happening. Um, and then, like I said, then we, we just go to whatever what, whatever the next step is. Then we'll, we'll watch it, see if it improves. If it doesn't, then – and it goes with the punch list. If you send a punch list out and you – I see it. If, I, if I'm in the email, I see it. And that's mm-hmm. when I reach out to my PM and they say, oh, well, I got it. Okay. Well, I want to see that it's corrected on the daily report. I want them to let me know that this was corrected so I can track the, you know, if they don't do the daily report, then I know that. And then it reminds me to say, hey, what about the punch list that you didn't put on your daily report? How do you get reminded? Is it email? Is it all set up to be automatic? If something doesn't, a box doesn't get checked, then you're notified. Or if this certain box gets checked, you're notified. It's reminding you and automating the system so that you don't have to constantly remember to check it, right? Yeah, everything everything is a reminder. Okay. Everything is set up as a reminder. So, and it may be, you know, I'm not in the daily on-site part of the process. so certain things come to me at a, once it gets to a certain level, things come to me. If mm-hmm. it, if it gets to another level, it'll go to my boss mm-hmm. um, along with me. Mm-hmm. So, but it's an automatic reminder. Okay. It may not be that they didn't check this box. Um, it's like a lot of things. There's an asterisk that says you can't move forward without checking this box. Oh, okay. Right. So, so they have to check the box in certain situations, but if the box is checked, you know, like um, a safety, you know, a toolbox talk. Mm-hmm. You know, if I don't, if I don't, I get an alert every day that says who did their daily report, who did their toolbox. And I, and because I requested that, mm-hmm. um, they can set the system up to work any way you want to. But I request it so I know, hey, this guy didn't do his daily pre-task. Why? Mm-hmm. And I'll send him an email. Why don't you do your daily pre-task? He'll give me an explanation. You know, the sub didn't show up till 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had a meeting, whatever the circumstances may be. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yep. Automating systems so that you're not, you already got enough stuff yep. in your head that you got to keep That's track right. of. Whatever you can automate, the the easier it makes your life. Yeah. That yep. constant reminder from something else <laughs> telling you, Hey, I need to check on this. Yep, exactly. I love being able to do that. All right, is there anything else you wanted to cover? I think that's it. Whatever you got. Man, I, that was a good conversation. I'm here. Yep, I liked it. I appreciate I you like coming. It. Yes, sir. Appreciate you inviting me. All right. Thank you. Yep, thank you.